Well, good morning. My goodness. Yeah, thank you. We celebrate differences. We know differences in culture, differences in age, and I'm here to represent the old people today. It's a delight to be here with you. No, man, it's great to be back. I haven't been in this room since the day I retired uh, back in August, and it's a delight to be with you. Reggie and team, thank you so much. Holly and I, uh, during this first year of marriage, one of the things we've done is we've been able to travel to a bunch of different churches and uh, going around the Metroplex, going from church to church, just kind of studying what people are doing. And I want you to know that um, no matter where we go, we always leave the place and we always compare it to Fieldroom because I don't know of any place that has a worship leader or someone who leads worship any better than Reggie. And Reggie, you and the team, you always do it with integrity, absolutely. <laughs> Amazing talent, uh, just always authentic, and I want you to know it's incredible. And then right after that, then you get what I believe is probably one of the greatest preachers in, in America today to get to stand up and share the Word of God. So I want you to know, I've been going church to church, so if you're thinking about church hopping and looking for another place, you might as well stay put. This is as good as it gets right here at Fielder Church, and so praise the Lord, and what a privilege to have had been a part of that for over two decades, and now to get to come back and preach for you, I'm, I'm honored. Holly and I celebrated on 1128. I'll never forget that, honey. I want you to know, 1128, our first anniversary. Uh, it'd been quite a year. It started with us both, me getting out of the hospital over COVID. We got it on our honeymoon. Uh, then we hadn't even been in our house a month whenever uh, Armageddon came or Friesenmageddon or whatever that thing was called there. Our house froze, pipes broke, and we were out of our house for seven months. I want you to know I'll never stay in a hotel again. I, I've been in a hotel way too long. I had never been a part of the Hilton group, you know, but I, they put us up in a, a Hilton. We were grateful, a Homewood Suites. I started out Jim Parks as a blue member. I'm now double diamond. I can stay anywhere in the world because I've been in a hotel for so long. This, man, I don't know about you, but now we've got runaway inflation. We, we have this supply chain issue that we've got going on. Omicron, what is that it? Omicron, no, that's not it. Whatever, the, whatever variant de jour we're in today, of this virus. I don't know about you, but I'm glad 2021 is in the rearview mirror. It, it seems like I said that exact same thing last year at this same Sunday, doesn't it to you? Hmm. And we didn't think things could get worse. Perhaps it's time for us as followers of Christ to recognize that what God calls us to do is to live above our circumstances. No matter what comes our way to live victorious lives that shine in a dark world that says there's a different way and there's a different path. And I believe this morning, that's why God is, in, I believe, uh, led me to preach from Philippians 4, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. So if you'll turn to Philippians 4, we're going to start in verse 4. You know this verse well. It's one of my favorite verses. I've memorized it. Many of you have. But I want us to walk through it. And as you're turning there, I have a question for you. Did you get everything you want for Christmas? Did you get it all? I mean, or did you like Holly and I and maybe some people we gave gifts to, you just got a sheet of paper with a picture of the gift that's going to be delivered as soon as the supply chain is fixed. You got those? I, we've got gifts and stuff we're still waiting to get to the house. Uh, Holly and I have decided we're going to go down to the Gulf of Mexico, rent a little boat and go out and get our stuff that's all sitting out there. 
Because I'm telling you, it's a crazy time. I don't know if you've got everything you want for Christmas, but Lord knows we don't need another sweater. We, we don't need a PlayStation 5 or an Oculus or whatever thing it is that you're waiting on to arrive. The truth is we are blessed far beyond anything we deserve. And today, I, I want you to know if you were to ask people in America and the Western world what they want most in life, it's, it's not a material thing. Barna and other groups have done survey, and every time they ask, what is it that you want most? Two answers always come back. Some form of this, I just want to be happy. I want real joy. The other one, I just need some peace. Joy and peace. That's what most people want, and that's what God wants to give each of us, and he has made a way for us to have joy and peace. Last week, Jason, I I loved the message last week. I hope you all watched it online along with Holly and I. As Jason used that vivid illustration of following the instructions to make a paper airplane, he taught us that if we don't follow the instructions, which are God's word, our lives will crash and burn. But if we will look at the instruction manual and we'll follow it, then we can soar in our lives. And that's what Paul wants to teach us. I'm going to follow up on that. And in Philippians 4, I want us to read along one of my favorite passages of Scripture and see if we today, as we break this Scripture apart word by word, if we can't discover how to live in 2022 so that on this Sunday next year, we can look back and say, man, I had a life filled this year with joy and with peace. Philippians 4.4 says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your, your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Great instruction, great words for us, beginning with joy and ending with peace. Paul starts out with rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You see, that's more than just a suggestion. That's a command. In fact, it's what's known in the Greek as the imperfect tense. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, always. And again, I say rejoice. It might be better translated in English if we did the imperfect tense. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always in the Lord. And never stop rejoicing in the Lord. If there's anything that should be a characteristic of us who have been redeemed from our sins us who have been saved so that we might spend eternity with God in heaven, it ought to be a life of joy, shouldn't it? I mean, of all things, we should be joyful. And yet, you and I know that when we come to church, whether it be this campus or any campus, there are those people that we avoid. You know who I'm talking about, right? Those Christian Eeyores, if you're a fan of Winnie the Pooh, those who always see things on the negative side. I I don't know about you, but I I know who they are, and there's none of you in the room this morning or watching online that are them, but I know who you are. And and you you know what I'm talking about. You see them walking up, and you see them. They caught your eye. You've caught their eye, and you began to look around to say, who else could I talk to this morning? And heaven forbid that they do come up, and you ask this question, how are you doing? Holy cow, you're in for a diatribe that's going to last for 30 minutes, telling you all the things that are wrong and all the things that are tough in their life because everything is negative. How can that be? When we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we have a future that's secured for us in heaven. We, above all people, should be joyful. 
As a matter of fact, if you go earlier in uh, the book of Philippians, in Philippians 2, 14, you can look over there. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. I want to read it from the NIV because I like the way it's translated. It says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you might become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. I don't know about you, but I want to be a star, don't you? I've always wanted to be a star. I want to be a star in a dark world. I want to shine so that everyone would know. You know the people I'm talking about. I have some in my life, and I bet you do in yours. I have a brother. His name is John. He lives out in San Diego, California, and and God called John to be a writer And John went out to Hollywood, and he was a writer in a a very depraved and difficult situation. He shone like a star. As a matter of fact, he he wrote a movie. It's called Bhopal. Any of you seen it? All know. uh, All 15 in the world who have seen that. Now, John will know what I'm talking about. It came out many years ago. It was on the big screen. But anyway, John has written a lot of movies, written for Hallmark and all these things. But I remember at the premiere of that, that we were there, and Morgan Freeman, you know him now, right? Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman was the director, and he walked up to my parents, and we were standing there, and he said this comment. He said, you know, I'm not a Christian, but if I were to be a Christian, it would be because of that young man, and he pointed to him. He is distinctively different, he said. Wow, it was noticed in a world that's filled with materialism. Here's a man who you and I know well, who really is a star, saying, no, that's the star. He's distinctively different. Listen, now, when I think about someone who shines like a star, I think of Matt Hunter. Y'all know Matt. Matt was our lead pastor of students to, and took my place out at South Oaks. I'm so proud of what he's doing out there and growing that campus. But I'm just telling you, when Matt comes into the room, life comes with him. I have never seen Matt not smiling. I've never seen him not excited. I love Matt Hunter. I just love to be around Matt Hunter. Don't you want to be a star in the universe? So the question is, how do I do that? How do I keep from becoming a Christian Eeyore and become a star in a crooked and depraved and dark generation? For after all, didn't we just celebrate how a star proclaimed Jesus, the Messiah's birth. A star led people to a stable where a Savior was born. A star led shepherds and wise men. And you and I, who have been redeemed and been commissioned to tell that good news of joy, just like those angels did on that first Christmas morning when they said, Behold, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Listen, you and I, the way that we can bring people and we can shine a light on the Savior is by being characterized by a life of joy. Oh, Mike, that's easy to talk about. And yes, I hear you. But Paul gives us the formula here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is near. Now in the NIV, the word reasonableness, they translated, let your meekness, you'll see that in other translations. I love the word meekness, but we sometimes don't think about it in right terms. Uh, Meekness, oftentimes we think of someone like Tim Conway with his head down, someone who can't look at you in the eye, someone who who just is an introvert and is afraid to speak. But I want you to know that's not the definition of meekness. In fact, I looked up one definition. It said meekness this way. It said bridled strength. 
Gosh, I love that translation, bridled strength. Truth is, that's, that's what we have as followers of Jesus Christ. Do you realize, you and I, I know you know that when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, scriptures tell us that he deposited in us the Holy Spirit, which is the deposit guaranteeing our salvation, but it's also the power unto our salvation. It's the power by which we share the gospel. It's the power by which we live above the frame, above all of the anxiousness and the tyranny of life that we sometimes feel like that we're under. No, it's meekness. It's this powered bridal strength. I, I, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, many years ago, I got to go to something called the American Airlines Skyball. I don't know if any of you have ever been. I was privileged to get to go. It's a big, uh, very nice dinner and ball with entertainment. That particular year, Tim McGraw was there and a bunch of people, and we got to go see this. And it's at the American Airlines uh, Center there uh, at DFW Airport, one of their big hangars. It was so, such a big party that they actually had a 747 parked in there as one of the backdrops for one of the stages. It's huge. And all around are these planes and jets and different things that you would see in the military. And that was interesting. I love seeing that. But the thing that really caught my eye was the Clydesdale team. You know, the ones I'm talking about, the ones we see at Christmas all the time. And here were these six Clydesdale horses pulling this giant wagon filled with Budweiser beer. You know what I'm talking about. And I did not know this, but they said that thing weighed up to three tons. It was so heavy. And here was this man sitting on top of it and these six gorgeous horses. Now, I'd never seen one up close, but when I got to walk up, they let us come and touch it. I saw the power that was in those horses. I literally had to reach up to touch the shoulder of this horse, and it just rippled with muscles. Amazing animals. And then I noticed that there was this bridle made of silver, and then a little bitty rope made out of leather, about a quarter of an inch thick, very small, and it all led back to the hand of one little man sitting on the wagon, weighed about maybe 180 pounds. And by the time he just simply would pull this way, the horse would move. All six of them would move in tandem. He'd pull this way. All six of them would go in tandem. You know, each of those horses, they probably had enough power to rip that leather out of his hand or even break it, but they didn't. They yielded, they yielded themselves to the reins that were being held there. And I want you to know that you and I have this incredible power within us, this incredible power to live above all of our anxiousness, to live above all the troubles of the world but it requires that the reins of our lives be in the hands of a Savior. We have to give him the reins of our life. You and I fight way too hard against the reins whenever he wants to gently pull us one way or the other and lead us in the path that's best for us. He told us in his words, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, not to harm us. And yet we take the reins back all the time. We say, no, I'm going to do it my way. And when we do, we end up with an anxious life we end up looking back saying, I will sure be glad when all those troubles instead are gone, instead of living above all of those troubles. I know, Mike, that's easy to say. I just got to give the reins to the Lord and nothing, nothing else will happen bad in my life. I didn't say nothing else will happen bad. I just said that you can trust the Lord and he'll direct your life in the midst of the struggles and, and all the trials that you may have. And then he goes on and he says to us in, in the next verse, 
He says, first off, let your meekness be known to all because the Lord's at hand. He's sitting on the throne and he has the reins of your life. And he says, don't be anxious about anything. Man, Paul, could you give me something easier? Don't be anxious. Don't worry. That word anxious in the Greek has this picture of uh, two lions that are tearing literally apart another animal as its prey. Do you ever feel like that? You just feel like your life is being torn apart. you got all these issues in life and relationship issues and work issues and, and what am I going to do next and how am I going to afford this or that? And you just feel this anxiousness. Your life is being torn, torn apart. Paul gives us a formula. He says, stop that. Just quit doing that. Quit, quit being anxious. Well, Paul, you've never lived my life. Really? You do know where the, the Philippians was written, right? He was in a jail cell in Rome facing execution. He says, hey, stop being anxious. Paul says, quit being anxious because he discovered the formula for not being anxious. First off, can I just tell you that worry and anxiousness is a sin. I'll tell you why it's a sin. It's not only a sin because Jesus told us not to worry. I'll show you that. Turn with me over to Matthew. I love this passage of Scripture. Jesus is speaking to a bunch of people, and you can almost hear the frustration in his voice that they don't trust him. He says in verse, uh, Matthew 6, verse 25, it says this, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or your body, what you will put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You see, anxiousness and worry is a sin not only because Paul, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God, wrote it in his word that Jesus said the very things, stop being anxious, but the truth is it's a sin because it undermines the very nature of God. It undermines his very nature. I, I have three kids. They're all grown now. All my good sermon illustrations are from their childhood, so bear with me. I have to share them again. I have two older sons, Nathan and Trent, and then I have my precious little girl. She'll always be my little girl, even though she's married and grown and has a baby that's almost one years old now. But my little girl, it was my job in the mornings, every morning, to wake her up, along with waking up the boys, to fix the breakfasts and then fix the lunch for all the kids. You see, Meredith needed to be clothed and she needed to have her hair done, but daddies who are smart never do that. I'm just telling you, daddies and hair are a difficult proposition. And then Meredith, she had to lay out like six different things. And then she would labor, am I going to wear this or am I going to wear that or wear this? And I, it would get me so frustrated. Boys are easy. I'm just telling you, boys are Evie. You wake them up. You say, hey, get dressed. They go over to a pile of clothes. They pick it up. They smell it. That'll do. They put it on. That's how, that's how boys are. 
They're simple. Little girls are tough. So I took the easy job. I allowed my wife to do the other job. I did the simple job. I just fixed the breakfast, which meant I got the cereal box out. And then also, then I would fix lunch. Now, lunch I went after. See, Meredith liked peanut butter and jelly. That's what she wanted every day. She wanted the crust cut off. And typically, I tried to make it special. I'd take a heart, you know, a cookie cutter, and I'd get a heart, or I'd get, you know, a, a crescent or something or some, some little thing, and I'd make it special, and I'd send her little love notes and put it in her My Little Pony lunchbox, and I would take her to school. So she, she went to A.C. Steer Elementary School there in Shreveport, Louisiana. It was right across the street from my church, Broadmoor Baptist Church. And so I would get in line and I would drop her off and I would stay there and wave at her until the teacher met her and took her inside. Now, if you can imagine, then every afternoon I would pick her up at, at the right time. I'd get back in line and drop her at home and then go back to work. Now, can you imagine if one day I get a call from Dan Waters, who's the principal at A.C. Steer, and he says, Mr. Wyrick, I need you to come up to the school. Meredith is crying uncontrollably. We, we, we just can't get her attention. I said, was well, she hurt? What's the matter? No, she's not hurt. She's just crying. She won't listen to anyone. So when I get there and I walk into the nurse's office and I see her sitting, I say, baby, what's wrong? And she says, daddy, I'm so worried. I'm just worried. I said, baby, what are you worried about? I'm worried that tomorrow when I come to school, when I open my, my little pony lunch kit, that there's not going to be any food in there, Dad. I won't have anything to eat, and everybody around me will have food, and I'll be hungry. I'll go, honey, have I ever not fixed your lunch? And don't, you know, I always fix it really. You remember, I, I, I put the hearts, and I do the crescents, and I write you notes, and all that. I know, Daddy, you've always done that, but I'm just worried that tomorrow you won't. And then, Daddy, I'm worried this afternoon that when it's time for me to leave, that I'm going to come outside and I'm going to be waiting and everybody will be picked up but me and all the teachers will leave and it'll be dark and I'll be left here all night saying, baby, really? You think that I would leave you sitting there on the porch of the school? I would never do that. Have I ever not been there, honey? No, Dad, you've always been here, but I'm just worried. Now, how would that make me feel as a father? I want you to know I prayed from the day she was born that God would give me a little girl. And when he did, my focus and my attention was meeting her every need that she ever had. I wanted her to know that I loved her. I wanted to know she was my first thought. I was always about her. I would never do that. If I am a fallen earthly father, just imagine how much more our heavenly father with all of his resources who said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That I'll meet all of your needs according to my riches in glory. How much more it hurts the heart of a father who has never failed you and never will fail you. You see, that's why worry is a sin. It undermines the very nature of God and who he is and what he wants. You have a good, good father who promised you he would meet your needs. He didn't say he'd meet all your wants. I never met all the wants of my kids either. They didn't get to eat gummy bears for lunch. No, I, they, I knew what was best for them, and I gave him those things that were best for him, best for them, and so is your heavenly father. He says, stop being anxious. Oh, I know, Mike, that's easy to say for you, but you don't know what I've been through this last year. You don't know what I'm facing. It's easy just to say it. How do I do it? And I'm so grateful that Paul gives us the answer. Let's continue on with our text this morning. He says, be anxious for nothing or about any, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. In everything, 
by prayer and petition or supplication. You know, I, I, I know that some of us think, really, everything? Like, I'm worried about that gift that's not making it, sitting out in the Gulf of Mexico. I, I'm worried about my, my taxes this year. I, I'm worried uh, about the electric bill. How's it going to be paid? Really, I, I get it. We have an, an omnipotent God who's over everything. Listen, He keeps the planets in space. He hears all the prayers of all the people. Surely, He's not interested in the little daily things of my life. I, I read a story the other day. Uh, one of my favorite pastors, I still read some of him. I never got to hear him preach, obviously. I am old, but not that old. D.L. Moody was the, had some great sermons. And I was reading about one sermon when he preached on this text when I was doing research for this particular passage of Scripture. And it said that a woman walked up to him and asked that very same question. You know how pastors stand at the door at the end of the service. And she walked up and said, Dr. Moody, I loved your message. I loved that text. But surely you don't think that the omnipotent almighty God wants to hear all of our little problems. Surely we should only bring him the big things in our life because he's such a big God. I loved his answer. He said, Madam, could you please tell me anything in your life that would seem big to God? When it comes down to it, it's never been about the size of your problem, right? It's always been about the size of his love for you. You have no problem. You have no issue that's too small or too big for God. And the answer is, don't be anxious. But instead, just lay them at the feet of Jesus, being confident that he has the reins of your life. And the word tells us that we can trust in the Lord with all our hearts. We don't have to lean to our own understanding. We can acknowledge him in all of our ways, and he'll direct our paths, and he'll meet all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But then there's this one little phrase, this prepositional phrase that Paul added that I think we skip over so often in this text. He says, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. See, that's an important part of the formula. You see, because thanksgiving is all about perspective, isn't it? Thanksgiving is the realization that what I have, I don't deserve. Why would you be thankful for anything you deserve? I mean, how many of you walk into your employer on every payday and you walk in and say, hey, thanks for my check today. Thank you for paying me. Now, you probably should, but we don't because we think we deserve it. We think that's something. I worked hard for this. I should get paid. But I want you to know most everything in your life you don't deserve. You and I, we didn't get to decide. That we got to be born in this amazing country that we were born in with freedom. You had nothing to do with that. God decided that. You didn't know what family you were going to be born into. God determined what family he was going to put you in. God determined that you would have the looks that you do, that you would have the talents that you do, that you would have the gifts that you do, that he determined your pathway. And all of those are blessings from God. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that even is a blessing because without him choosing you first, you could have never chosen him to be your Lord and Savior. And it comes with this attitude of thanksgiving that recognizes that everything I have is a blessing from the Lord. So, Mike, how in the world do I do what Paul says? How do I bring my request to the Lord and be thankful for something that he hadn't even said yet and hasn't even done yet? Well, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of knowing that God is good. As we sang a while ago, Reggie sang, allowed us to sing. 
It's the faith and a realization that we have a good, good God who's told us in his word, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, not to harm him. It's a trust of faith to say, God, wherever you lead me, whatever I go through, I know ultimately it's going to be for my good and for your glory. And so thank you in advance for however you're going to answer this prayer. Well, that's tough to do, but I want you to know it'll change your life. It'll bring you joy and peace that you never even dreamed you could have when you just let your problems go and you lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, however you answer this, I am grateful for what you're going to do because I have full confidence in the goodness of God. Uh, My son, Trent, um, he lives in Shreveport, Louisiana, and I've told you about many things. Trent was in a terrible accident where he was out riding a bike, training for a marathon or a triathlon, hit by a truck, lost all of his physical fitness, and destroyed his body, and no sooner had he gotten well than their house burned down that they hadn't even moved into that they were building. I remember standing beside those embers of that house and Trent and Molly had been through so much. They had been trying to have a child, and they'd been trying so hard to build this home that was going to be their dream home, and Trent wanted to run this another Ironman, and all of that seemed destroyed. And here we were standing on uh, just a few days before Christmas at the embers of his house that he hadn't even moved into. All of his worldly possession, all of his money had been tied up in that house. And I remember him asking me the question, Dad, where is God in all of Man, tough question for a dad to answer at that time. But I believe this with all my heart. And I said to him, Trent, it all comes down to this. It all depends on what you think about God and believe about God. If he is a good God and you believe this, this is all going to work out. It's all going to be for his glory and for your good. And can I just say, I have a healthy son who runs triathlons again. They now have a little girl, Mary Caroline, who was my first granddaughter born. And they live in a beautiful home. And that God gave them even better than it would have been. You see, God was to, allowed the tragedy of life to be turned into a victory of life. Because when you assume that God's good, one day you'll be able to look back and see the goodness of God. And we can sing that song, I'll sing of the goodness of God. What he meant for evil, God meant for good. And I want you to know, bad things may come to your life, but if you'll just hang in there with an attitude of thanksgiving and knowing that God is good, then there's one last thing you get, and I love it in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you have a peace today? I mean, did you wake up this morning with a sense of peace knowing that everything's going to be okay, that life's good, that God's good, and I can trust the Lord. Do you have that kind of peace? I want you to know it's a peace that you can only have through Jesus Christ. My mother, Dorothy Warwick, was an amazing woman. She died 25 years ago on Palm Sunday, March the 31st in 1996. She had had a battle with lymphoma for about five years, and And I had been there with her, my family. Listen, I I wish you could have seen her last days. We're a singing family. We'd sit around singing and playing guitar. And here we are on the oncology ward and in hospice. and, And there's this party going on, even though she was in a lot of pain. And I, my brothers and sisters were there. My family was there. And I want you to know, literally hundreds of people came by to say, listen, Dorothy, you mattered to me. Dottie, you, you changed my life. You introduced me to Jesus. And I remember that early morning, uh, we knew the time was coming toward her end. She was in and out of consciousness. 
Many of you have heard this story, but I'd share it again because it's mattered in my life and many haven't heard it. But I was kneeling beside her bed and I was praying, oh God, not now. Why would you take her now? Look at all these people who have been here, all the lives that she has, she has ministered to, all the people that she's brought to the kingdom. And I, of all people, I sit down with her and the Word of God, and she helps me understand the Word of God. I've spent hours with her. Lord, can't you give her more life? Wouldn't it bring you glory if you would heal her right now and, and that she would get up from this bed and go share the goodness of, of your healing? And in the middle of that prayer, I'm praying it out loud. I felt a hand on the back of my head, and my mother looked down at me, and she said, Son, why are you trying so hard to keep me from a place I'm trying so hard to go? See, she had a heavenly perspective. She had a peace that passes understanding, and as she took her last breath, my brother was there, and I was there, my brother John, and my dad was there. And my dad, even though we all wept for a moment, I remember him turning to me and saying, can you imagine right now what your mother is seeing in heaven? A matter of perspective, a sense of peace that no matter how hard it gets, lymphoma, cancer, whatever comes your way, there's a home prepared for you in heaven. And this world is not our home. That world is our home. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I want you to know, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, if you've not given him the reins of your life, not only will you not Will you not be a star that shines in the midst of darkness? Not only will you continue to have anxiousness and not experience that peace, but you'll never have that heavenly home that my mother lived for and I lived for and countless thousands have lived for. And my question today, do you have that peace? There's only one way to get that peace, and that's through the Prince of Peace. Jesus died for you so that you might have eternal life. Jesus died for you so that you could live a joyful life. Jesus died for you so that you could have a peace that passes understanding. So this morning, if, if you don't know the Lord, if you've never given him the reins of your, life, of your life, I want to invite you to do so in a moment. There are going to be pastors down here at the front, and I invite any of you to come and just say, you know what? I don't want to live through another 2020 or 2021 without the joy and peace that comes only from Jesus. And come and give your life to Jesus today online. If you're watching with us, I invite you, just text the word next step to 94253. And there are pastors there. Pastor Zur, you want to text right now while you're watching on YouTube or whatever, you're, whatever streaming device you're looking on, he'll reach out to you. We, we've got pastors who will reach out to you and pray with you. But I know there's many of you who are children of the King. You, you, you know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ is your Lord, but you still live anxious lives. I think the reason is because you keep grabbing the reins back. You don't leave them in his hands. You, you keep being anxious. You're not bringing stuff to the Lord and say, Lord, with a heart of thanksgiving, I'm just going to lay this in front of you. And maybe today you need to come and let one of the pastors pray over you. The Bible tells us real clearly in James 5, it says this, confess your sins one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. And maybe today you just need a pastor. You need to confess, not to a pastor, but to the Lord so that we might pray over you that you might be healed of that anxiousness and you can trust in the Lord. Maybe today. Maybe today you just need to come and kneel at this altar and say 2022 is going to be different. I'm going to live a life of joy and peace, not in my own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. So we invite you now, as Reggie comes and this band comes, I invite you now, if you would, you stand. In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Maybe you need to go and get your elements if you're at home. Uh, get that. But Jim Parks is going to lead us in just a moment. But right now, would you do business with God? 
Would you set your face for 2022 on the joy and peace that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by letting him have the reins of your life? Let's stand together and let's sing.